0: Welcome to Community Conversations. Joining me today is Nicole Zazowski. Nicole, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I am a marriage and family therapist. I live right outside New York City in Connecticut. Uh, I live here with my husband and three young children. And I have written two books. One, The first one is called From Lost to Found. And the one that we'll probably talk about today that's just released is called What If It's Wonderful.
0: And so that book is all about the idea of celebration. And I want to start by asking you, how many times did the Cool and Gang Song celebration get stuck in your head while <laughs> you were writing this book? Because during interview prep, that's all I could think about. <laughs>
1: That's a really great question. No one has asked me that yet. Um, you know, periodically throughout.
0: <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, cool. You, in that book, you talk about finding the courage to celebrate as a quest. And mm-hmm. so, what was your personal quest that led you to want to write this book and write about the whole idea of celebrating?
1: Yeah, so um, this book was really born out of a season that could largely be characterized by change and loss and a lot of pain. Um, <clears throat> some people assume that I wrote it uh, because I was an expert on joy and celebration and those things came very naturally to me. Uh, the, in fact, the opposite is true. They have become things, disciplines that I have practiced Um, and are changing my life. But like so many of us, uh, I am not somebody who drifts toward joy. Um, And when you go through a painful season or a painful event, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a season of waiting or a betrayal, whatever that is, there's the loss itself and then there's the cost. And the cost is the impact to our sense of identity and our sense of safety. And what took me a really long time to realize as I started to move out of my season of pain and into a season characterized by more breakthrough was that part of the cost for me was that my joy was accompanied by a ton of fear. Uh, I was afraid to hope. Celebration felt like it came with a catch dreaming felt stupid in a lot of ways um, and so I, perp- I prayed for the miracle but I prepared to mourn I was always ready for the worst case scenario uh, protecting myself with pessimism by practicing disappointment and rehearsing disaster and just keeping my expectations really low and then I was really sad when I realized. Um, This took, like I said, a while, but when I realized that a lot of the loss I experienced was not only the loss itself, but my refusal to embrace joy, um, that I was missing out on my beautiful God-given life because I was so busy preparing for the worst. And so that led to this quest, like you said, of really understanding how I can practice celebration in a way that cultivates joy, not in a toxically positive way uh, where you ignore pain and you don't um, acknowledge that that is real too, um, but in a way that helps me move through with peace and joy.
0: Yeah. And I want to lean into one thing in particular, you talked about the idea that we don't necessarily have a natural drift towards joy and i think that's something we we can all relate to i i think of um you know even what jesus talked about in, in john 16 when he said in this world you will have trouble and and in my mind i i constantly think of that it's like okay what what trouble what trial is constantly around the corner uh and 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 it it's so easy just to just to live in fear all the time so why, why do you think our mind goes to these places and, and why do you think it, it's such a, such a fight to try and have this mindset of, of living in joy and living in celebration?
1: Yes. So I, uh, in my research for this book did a ton of, uh, neuroscience research and I learned a lot about the brain, some of which I had known just as a therapist and, um, dealing with those realities, but but it was only confirmed <laughs> the more research I did. It, the reason I said few among us drift toward joy is left on neutral, the brain leans negative. Um, and there's just a few dynamics going on in the brain that make joy not our starting place. We have a lower set point if we just let ourselves drift and don't create new new neural pathways um through practices like celebration but just to give you an idea of some of the things going on in the brain uh, one of them is this phenomenon called the hedonic treadmill which means the brain rapidly adapts to joy so when we experience something new and exciting and maybe the gift that would make us want for nothing else very quickly, it starts to fade into the background of normal. Um, and we are left hungry and wanting again. Um, the second is a fact that a lot of us are familiar with, but it's worth mentioning anyway, is that the brain is like Velcro for painful input and Teflon for pleasant and joyful input. So when you, if we think about what this actually looks like practically throughout our day, The brain is extremely efficient and it only wants to hang on to what it thinks it needs. So if you walk through your day, most of us experience a mix of pain and joy throughout most of our days and most of our seasons in life. And if your brain is naturally only going to pick up and hold those major and painful things then what does that mean for the everyday moments of joy and goodness that God is weaving through our days? Um, they don't get picked up and they, if, if they're noticed at all. Um, and then the third thing that I think is worth mentioning is that we have this tendency to tell our joy how it can be improved upon. So if you picture giving a presentation – Maybe you're sharing something at church or you're doing a presentation at work. Uh, You're sharing in front of a group of people and you feel good about what you shared. A few people said some nice things to you on your way back to your seat and you sit down and you feel so accomplished that it went well. And then you start thinking, ooh, it would have been better if I had said this or they were there, but this person wasn't there. Or they said it was a good speaker, but they didn't say it was a great speaker. And we start telling our joy what would have made it better. And so this is our starting point uh, as we go throughout our days. And you can imagine um, there's not a lot going on naturally in the brain that cultivates joy and allows us to see what good things God is doing um, even in the midst of a painful se- uh, season or situation.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great starting point too, because the more we can be aware of that, of, of what's going on in our brain in those situations, that gives us a point that we can start to address it or, or really start to uh, come up with solutions to uh, some of those things. So talk a little bit about that. You, you talk about the idea of celebration as a spiritual discipline. How, how can we make that a habit in our lives? What, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, I think um, in the way that we tend to think about celebration uh, culturally, <laughs> I think we tend to see it as a reward on the other side of the realization of a dream or a goal achieved or some sort of shift in circumstances that we're hoping to see, um, that we're waiting for a reason To celebrate. We see it as a a reaction to a good outcome. And certainly this is some of what it looks like, but I think we're missing out because we've narrowed that definition so much to being a reward instead of a rhythm. And to be honest, I was a little bit annoyed when I, um, started to realize that celebration was truly a discipline and a practice because I thought, gosh, there's so many things in life that require discipline and take practice and why can't celebration just come naturally? And then I realized how empowering that was, um, that, that joy is something we can cultivate through this practice and we don't have to wait For the perfect set of circumstances or the right outcome to make celebration available to us and that's one of my heartbeats for this book is i don't want anybody to come to this book and think oh i'm not that's not for me right now i'm not in a season of celebration all the more reason to pick it up Uh, because celebration is a practice that's available to us whether we're in a season of joy, or or in a season of suffering, or even waiting, and one of the one of the things that was really helpful to me is looking at scripture in the Old Testament when all those feasts and festivals are outlined. Um, we see that God's people practiced celebration in rhythm, not. Not when they were in the mood to celebrate or not when all their work was done or when they had time to do so. They, pra- they practiced celebration because it was time. And what that does, it's, it makes it a rhythm that connects us to God's faithfulness and goodness um, more than simply uh, a reward for our own. And so anytime you can practice that celebration in rhythm, Um, is super helpful to cultivating joy in your life and detaching it from um, a specific outcome.
0: Yeah, unpack that a little bit more because I can relate to that. I mean, I look at Paul's words when he talks about, you know, I've learned to be content in any uh-huh. and every situation. I'm like, man, how do you how do you get to that point? Like I I feel like I, I can be so swayed, my emotions, my feelings, my mm-hmm. level of joy can be swayed by my circumstances. So what what about those seasons of life where we don't feel like celebrating or we, we don't feel like there's anything worth celebrating.
1: Yes. And and certainly celebration is gonna look different in different seasons. Part of what does contribute to our joy is circumstances, so it's not as if we're robots, and you know we we are human, feeling human beings paying attention to a broken world, and so whatever feelings we have in response are real. Um, there's there's a lot going on in our world right now, and there has been for quite some time, um, and so to feel pain around that and sorrow around that is a natural human response. We'd be a little bit worried um, if if somebody had no feeling in response to the horrific events um, going on in the world. But I think being able, like those festivals in the Old Testament, to be anchored in that remembrance of God's faithfulness and recalling His character um, and knowing that there are good things happening in us and, and concurrent with that pain in the world, that God is still moving in our hearts. He's still moving in our lives and he's still present. Um, and knowing that what is dark today is not going to be dark forever helps us participate in that long story, in that long game, um, of celebration, because the Bible is bookended by celebration. Um Both the story of creation and the promises in revelation are are celebratory. Um, and Jesus's life is also bookended by celebration. And so that's not that's not to say that what's happening now doesn't matter, um, but it gives us a vision not only for what's coming, but what's happening now in the midst of what might seem hopeless.
0: Love that. So what is it? What what is your recommendation, people? What does it look like to make celebration a, a spiritual habit? What are what are some tangible next steps for people? Is it is it Old Testament style, and we're just going <laughs> to throw a fest festival once every year?
1: <laughs> it can be uh, if that's your jam. <laughs> um, but uh, so the last section of the book, um, the one on finding the courage to celebrate. I continue in biblical story and, and personal story and, uh, psychological truth. But I think, um, that is the section that that's more practical. And so if this is a question that you have and you want to dive deeper into what are next steps, um, definitely look at that section, but I'll share a couple of my favorites. Um, The first practice that I find really helpful and I think is a great place to start, especially in light of what I shared about the brain earlier, is this idea of savoring. And what savoring does is it celebrates the ordinary. And the way that you do this is you either take the present moment or you reflect on your day and you just take one snapshot from your day and you ask your five traditional senses what they're gonna remember about that moment. So what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste and what do you feel? And that helps your brain capture it and keep it in a way that it can be carried forward and recalled later. Um, And so what this does is all of the sudden we're lifting our gaze, and we're we're um, capturing that moment in a in a way that we can hang on to it and and recall it later and, and celebrate it in our hearts beyond the moment itself.
0: I like that, and it's pre- I mean it's predicated too on slowing down and, and yes. building rhythms within your day to to stop and celebrate. Celebrate yeah. is not something we can do while other while doing other things. It's, it's something we need to focus on and stop and really really dwell in. Mm-hmm. Um, but along those lines you, you also talk about the idea of there, there's a difference between celebrating and escaping. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that and the differences between the two?
1: Yes, I think celebration is often misbranded as blowing off steam or something that somehow takes us away from Christ um, and helps us to numb out. And certainly, I, I suppose you could misuse celebration that way, but celebration at its best is actually an intentional action that connects us to ourselves, to God, and to others, Whereas escaping would be a reaction to pain that's actually disconnecting from our feelings, God, and other people. And so celebration is an avenue of growth. It's an avenue of connection in our lives. And escaping actually hits the pause button on that emotional growth.
0: What is, um, how is celebration central to God's character and mission. I think we, we can look throughout the, the Bible and see a lot of Old Testament characters celebrate, you know, David, you know, ripping off all his clothes at one, yeah. one point and, and, and dancing and, and leaping and singing for joy. You look at the Psalms, he's, he's constantly praising and, and celebrating God. But, but what about God himself? How, how is celebration part of his character?
1: Yeah, I think we see it from the, from the creation story, the humor that he has woven in (laughs) to his creation, um, and the delightful creativity that he has not only fashioned each of us with, um, but the world around us, I think his, uh, is, is celebratory in nature. Um, and then, you know, Jesus's life, even if we just looked at the gospels, you know, the, the. Uh, visions of celebration that we get around his birth, with the angels rejoicing, the shepherds rushing to him, the wise men bringing gifts, um, and we we see it throughout Jesus's life too, and in, in his um, receiving of the woman pouring oil all over his feet and and washing it with her hair. That was, you know, the the Pharisees were judging. Um, that action, but the disciples judged it as well and called it a waste that that money could have been better used on the poor. And I think even Jesus's point was even good things like wise stewardship or, or giving to the poor, if that eclipses our worship of Christ, um, then, then we're getting it in the wrong order that, that our, our worship and awe and celebration of Jesus is what's going to bring us joy. Um, and of course, you know, I in the last chapter, I unpack Jesus's first miracle, which certainly a lot of jokes are made about him turning water into wine and keeping the party going. Um, not only does that show Jesus's high view and value of celebration. But what Jesus is, is picturing, because he knows the end of the story and he knows how his story is going to unfold, is not just that wedding, but our wedding with him, our, our union with him. And um, that is where we have the ultimate celebration foretold in, in Revelation, that, that our inheritance as people who love and follow Jesus are, is joy. Joy. Uh, regardless of what circumstances we might be waiting through right now.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think another thing that we see Jesus do is celebrate others well. And yes. that's not something for me personally that comes naturally like joy. It's not something that we drift towards. I think I yeah. often live in this scarcity mindset of oh if this person is successful or has achieved something or is something worth celebrating, that that's less blessings for the rest of us. And that's yeah. obviously not how how it works, but how would you say that we could overcome some of these struggles and really live out the idea of rejoicing with those who rejoice?
1: Yes. I, I love the way you framed it just now. And, and one reminder that I give myself is, you know, blessing for one never comes at the expense of another. Um, I think of, uh, Elijah, um, you know the the widow and her son making him the bread with the last bit of oil that they had and that that God was able to feed Elijah and take care of that widow um, that that he is a god of multiplication. Um, but the story that really kicked my tail on this one um, was a story that I had never considered through this lens. And it's the story we find in Deuteronomy where the Israelites have obviously been traveling through the wilderness for years and years and years, many trials, many peaks and valleys in that journey. And they're so close to the promised land that scripture says that when Moses goes up on this mountain, he can actually see it in the distance. And he goes up on this mountain to to talk with God. Um, and to plead with him, really, because as we know earlier in that journey, God has told Moses he's not going to be the one to lead his people into the promised land because he had disobeyed God. And and Moses pleads with him, can I please be the one? Um, and I love his honesty and, and earnest heart in that moment, just coming before God and and asking him. And I don't like to psychologize scripture, um, <laughs> but it's hard to ignore that God's language is strong. It's an emphatic no. And he says, we're, we're also, this is the end of the conversation. We're not talking about this anymore. But what I really find challenging is what God says to Moses, Moses next. He says, I want you to commission Joshua. I want you to pour courage and strength and training into him, basically packing his backpack for the journey that you wish was yours. And just the fact that it's part of that same conversation, and and that is our call in celebrating other people, because I think this is particularly difficult when somebody else's dream steps on the toes of our own. Is how do we pour courage and prepare people for the journey that we wish was ours and and that is our that's our call too, just like it was Moses's and oh gosh, that's so hard for me <laughs>
0: <laughs> definitely doesn't come natural definitely yeah. doesn't come natural yeah <laughs> I think of the the story of the prodigal son too i mm-hmm. mean the the father was so eager to celebrate, but the brother was so like he doesn't deserve that. And it's such a, it's such a beautiful picture. If, if, if the father is meant to represent our heavenly father, it's such a beautiful picture of how, uh, just the way that he celebrates and and rejoices with others, even if we in our selfish hearts don't feel like that person deserves that, or maybe we deserve that instead. So that's just, that's just a really cool reminder. I want, I want to close with, with one more question. I want to kind of bring it full circle and, you had mentioned earlier on the idea of, of toxic positivity. Mm. Uh, w- w- what is that exactly? and, and how do we um, make sure we're living a life of celebration and not airing too much on the side of, of, of that?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know we can all acknowledge that there's pain in this life and i think most of us would acknowledge that there is good things happening too um, that that god is moving in our hearts and in our stories i think where it becomes toxic is where we use what is good in an expectation that it cancels what is hard so if if you are go th- going through something hard and i am bringing up something good and I'm expecting that to cancel out your hard feelings about what's going on um, instead of just acknowledging that both are true. Um, I, think, I think joy trusts God's promises in the midst of pain and toxic positivity uh, seeks to eliminate and diminish and minimize pain. Um, which I I don't think is very helpful. I know it's not very helpful.
0: Love that. It's an important lesson in empathy, right? Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Connecting before you correct or try and bring somebody to a different place is is essential.
0: Also something that doesn't come natural for me. (laughs) Yeah, really hard. And I
1: think it's toxic positivity in my experience is often well-intentioned. Um, we, our, our tendency as human beings to rescue and, and pull out of that painful place um, is really strong. And, and often those intentions are good. It's just not very helpful.
0: Great. Well, Nicole, thank you um, for joining us today. We really appreciate your insight in talking about this topic. If people are interested in learning more, how can they learn more about you or your work
1: Yes, I love hearing from readers and listeners, so please reach out. My website is just Nicole Zazowski.com, N-I-C-O-L-E, Z A S O W S K I dot And there's a free resource on there. You know, my um the name of my second book is What If It's Wonderful. And that's obviously a question that runs counter to are other what if questions like what if I fail or what if I'm disappointed or what if I'm rejected. And so I have a free guide on my website that helps you work through your own what if questions. It's like a guided journal. Um, And that's totally free um, that you can download from my website. And then the social media platform I hang out the most is uh, Instagram and I'm just at Nicole Zazowski there as well. And you can buy the book. Anywhere you like to buy books.
0: Perfect. What if it's wonderful? We'll put all those links in the description. Nicole, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. This was fun.